0: Good morning. It is truly good to be with you here this morning um, as we dig more into God's Word and His will for us. And as we do that, let's begin in prayer. Father, we thank you for this group of people who are here this morning. Father, we thank you for the love that they have for you, the love they have for your Word, and Father, the love that we have for each other. And Father, you know that throughout this week that as I've been in your Word, I've Experienced many emotions. Father, I've, I've experienced some defensiveness. I've experienced some guilt. Father, as I look at what I believe to be the truth in your word, and then when I look at my actions now and my actions in the past, and Father, ultimately, thank you for bringing me to conviction and bringing me to action. And Father, I just pray today as we look at some Some truths that may be difficult for other people here as they look at their actions either currently or their actions in the past. That you'll help them to move beyond defensiveness and beyond guilt to conviction through your word and then to action. For that's my prayer through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we're in the fourth week of our latest sermon series and we're calling it On Target. And we're talking about sexual relationships, God's way. Over the nine weeks of this series, our intention is to have a church conversation. It's family conversation, a family conversation about God-pleasing and God-glorifying sexual relationships. But we also don't intend for these nine 30-minute sermons to be the entirety of our conversation together. We intend for this series and for these sermons to be the beginning of conversations, Conversations that will continue on in our small groups, that will continue on in our homes, that will continue on as husband talks with wife and as parents talk with children. A continuing family conversation. And today to help us in our continuing conversations with our children as we talk about on-target dating. If you'll look in your bulletin, you'll find something that we haven't had in the bulletin before. You'll find a list of questions. They're on the back of the small group questions. It's a series of suggested questions that Anthony prepared for us. He prepared them for us to aid us in having this particular and extremely important family conversation in our homes. And we'll talk more about the importance of that conversation here in a few minutes. But we'll start out today like we're going to start out every week of this series with just a brief review about some foundational principles that will inform and will support everything that we talk about in the course of this series. And the first foundational principle has to do with these targets and with these arrows that you see spread out behind me. See, throughout this series, we'll be guided by the foundational truth that for followers of Jesus Christ, there is a target. There is a standard for our actions. There is a standard for our behaviors we'll affirm that some things are right and some things are wrong. And since we, as followers of Jesus Christ, since our desire and our aim is to please our God, we reject the notion that we should just follow our hearts to targets that are all about pleasing ourselves. Go to that me, myself, and I target. And we'll also reject the dangerous tendency we have to just aim where we please and then try to... Conform, try to move God's target to where we are aiming our lives. And that's something that happens all too often in the church and is dangerous for us. And instead, what we should be doing is we should be conforming our thoughts and our beliefs and our actions to God's word, to God's will for our lives so that we'll be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. The second foundational principle that will guide us throughout this series has to do with our relationship with Jesus Christ. As we continue to look at other relationships we have, we will affirm and we will continually remind ourselves that our relationship with Jesus Christ is both necessary and it's sufficient. Jesus is who we need, and he is all we need. And this morning, I also want to remind you of a statement that I made a couple of weeks ago you may remember that I said that the three most destructive words in the Eng- English language just may be follow your heart. And I want those words to be fresh in our minds as we talk about dating. And the reason why I want those words fresh in your mind, I think, will soon be obvious. So, with that review, let's talk about on target dating. Let's start out with a couple of definitions. These definitions will help us along and help keep us all kind of on the same page so we know we're talking about the same things. So first of all, I want to define dating because dating can mean very different things to other people, to different people, based on age, based on experience. So let's define dating. So when I talk about dating this morning, I'm talking about the dominant way that our culture, 21st century American culture, the dominant way that our culture manages the transition from singleness to being married. See, other cultures manage that transition in very different ways, but in our culture, we do it through dating. And we'll talk more in a minute about what dating looks like in our culture. I also want to define another term for you, and that term is countercultural. Countercultural is the culture and lifestyle of those people who reject or oppose the dominant values and the dominant behaviors of their society. And today I'm going to talk about countercultural dating. And when I talk about countercultural dating, what I'm talking about is managing the transition from singleness to marriage in a way that rejects and opposes the dominant values and behaviors of dating as it's currently practiced in our society that's a mouthful let me say it again when i talk about countercultural dating i'm talking about managing the transition from singleness to marriage in a way that rejects and opposes the dominant values and behaviors of dating as it's currently practiced in our society there are probably a bunch of teens right now going, uh-oh. But I think that's what we're called to do is to have countercultural dating in the church. Let me say this also up front. That because dating and dating practices differ among different age groups and because dating occurs in so many different age groups at different stages of life, I'm going to have to narrow our focus today. I'm going to intentionally narrow our focus today to talk to a particular stage of life and a particular age group. See, today I'll primarily be talking about dating among teens and young adults, those who are still under the influence of their parents and their families. And so if that describes you, let me say, listen up. If that describes your children, let me say, listen up. If that describes where your grandchildren are or where your grandchildren will be, listen up. If that describes anybody that you care anything about, listen up. See, we should all listen up because this is a family conversation and we're all part of this family. And the reason that we all need to listen up is because we have a problem. In fact, we have a big problem, a serious problem. See, when it comes to dating, when it comes to managing the transition from singleness to marriage, our culture has a problem, and so does our church family. And the problem is that our family approach, our church family approach to dating, our church family approach to managing this transition from singleness to marriage looks just like our culture's approach to managing this transition See, our family is cultural where we should be counter-cultural. I want you to listen to this quote from a gentleman named Scott Croft who talks a lot about singleness and dating and other issues. And I want you to listen to this quote carefully because I think Scott Croft is spot on in what he says. He says this, he says, When it comes to dating and relationships, perhaps more than any other area of everyday Christian life, The church is largely indistinguishable from the world. Largely indistinguishable from the world. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying when it comes to dating and relationships, the church looks just like the world that surrounds us. And so you may say, what's wrong with that? Why should we care about that? Well, the reason we should care is because dating in our culture is off target. We should care because dating in our culture doesn't aim to please God. It aims to please self. We should care because dating in our culture is primarily a follow-your-heart process. And remember what we said just a few minutes ago, follow-your-heart may just be the three most... Oh, come on, you're awake. The three most destructive words in the English language. Dating in our culture is a follow-your-heart process, and it's based almost entirely on attraction. See, we follow our hearts to whoever attracts us physically and whoever attracts us emotionally, and especially whoever attracts us sexually and we here in this family should care about this because dating in our culture assumes that boys and men are nothing more than just sex-driven creatures. It assumes that the only thing that males care about at all, the only thing that motivates them at all is sex. We should care because in our culture, it's assumed that the only ways that girls can be successful in dating is to be sexually attractive and sexually Provocative, And we should care ab- because dating in our culture assumes that women and girls are just sex objects. And we should care about this because dating in our culture is just all about attraction, physical and sexual attraction. So in our culture, physical appearance seems to mean everything. And if appearance means everything... And logically what follows, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whose you are. It only matters what you look like. And so dating in our culture has become a game. It's a game where there are winners, and it's a game where there are losers, and it's a game where sexual activity is just a part of the game. It's just a tool to be used in the dating game, and so it isn't really that big of a deal in our culture. And that's the dating world our adolescents and our young adults are living in. That's the dating culture they are immersed in. And it's the dating culture that we, adults and parents and grandparents and friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, it's a culture that we as a family, it's a dating culture that we have in many ways, just left our adolescents and young adults alone to deal with all by themselves. It's painful for me to admit. It's painful for me to admit because I'm as guilty as anyone here. It's painful to admit that our adolescents and our young adults have been largely just left alone to navigate what is likely the most terrifying, what is likely the most confusing, and is what is undoubtedly the most potentially destructive period of their life, we've left them alone. We spend untold hours making sure that our children go to the right schools and take the right classes and do their homework. And why do we do that? Well, we do that because we're concerned about their future, right? This one's fresh in my mind. We make sure that our children have the right car seats, that they wear bicycle helmets, that they use their seat belts, that they buy highly rated cars. And why do we do that? Well, we do that because we're concerned about their safety. We're concerned about our children's future, and we're concerned about our children's safety, and then we send them out all alone to navigate this transition from single to married by just following their hearts. We leave them all alone to choose a life partner by playing our culture's terrifying, confusing, and potentially emotionally, physically, and spiritually destructive dating games. Dating games that are based primarily on physical and sexual attraction. And am I the only one that thinks that that's really odd? Am I the only one that thinks that that's really wrong? Am I the only one that thinks that it's past time for us to reject our culture's way of managing this transition from single to married and instead choose to become counter-cultural? I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one who's convinced that it's time for us to stop being cultural and become countercultural. I know I'm not the only one certain that it's time for us to stop aiming at our culture's target and start instead aiming at God's target. See, the question isn't should we be countercultural when it comes to dating? The question is how do we become countercultural? See, when we want to know, How to aim at God's target. We know where to go, don't we? And where we go is to God's word. So what does the Bible have to say about dating? Quickly turn back to your uh, concordance and look up dating. I'll save you the time. There's nothing there. If you turn in your concordance and you look under letter D for dating, what do you find? You find nothing. See, the Bible doesn't have anything specific to say about dating because dating simply didn't exist during Bible times. And it didn't exist in Bible cultures. See, they had a very different way of managing this transition from singleness to marriage. Their process was a process that was managed primarily by fathers. And it was managed for the benefit of the family as well as for the benefit of the children. And the focus was on securing a spouse for your child that would maintain or enhance the social and economic standing of your child and the social and economic standing of your family. There certainly wasn't anything like a first date. But if there had been a first date, it probably would have included both extended families and there would have been talk about romantic things like How many goats and sheep and donkeys the groom's family was going to pay for the privilege of having your daughter marry into their family? Talk about dowry. See, they had a system that was based on many things, but attraction wasn't one of them. See, the process that they had in managing this transition bore almost no resemblance at all to our culture's dating process. Just because the Bible doesn't have anything specific to say about dating doesn't mean that the Bible is silent on the subject. It's far from silent on the subject. There are some very important biblical principles that we must apply if we want our families to engage in on-target countercultural dating. So I want to move quickly through six vital biblical principles that must be included in any discussion about what on-target dating looks like. First, we'll look at two principles that we can find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'll start reading in verse 3. Paul writes this. He says, It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we've already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but He called us to live a holy life. So, if our dating is going to be countercultural, we learn here that we won't take advantage of others, we won't do wrong to others. Instead of being driven by sex, we'll be driven by what is honorable. Instead of treating others like sex objects, we'll treat them like brothers. We'll treat them like sisters. And instead of blending in and playing the same game that everybody else around us seems to be playing, we'll be different. We'll be set apart. We'll be counter to our culture. We'll be holy people. Well, the next vital principle for truly countercultural dating comes from Romans chapter 13. In verse 8, Paul says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And whatever other commandments there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And then in verse 13, he says, Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not even think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So, countercultural dating. That's dating that does no harm to the other. It doesn't harm them physically, it doesn't harm them emotionally, it doesn't harm them spiritually, and it doesn't do anything that would bring harm to their reputation. We won't do harm to others if we will just behave decently. See, if we will always behave as if there are no secrets at all about what we're doing, about what we're doing and what we're saying and even what we're thinking, no secrets at all. See, boys and young men won't do anything that they wouldn't do if their parents were watching. Or maybe even a stronger standard, they won't do anything that they wouldn't do if her parents were watching. And girls and young women won't do anything that they wouldn't do if both sets of parents were watching. We'll behave decently to each other so that we don't harm each other physically, emotionally, or spiritually. We also have to have a countercultural understanding that our bodies don't even belong to ourselves, they belong to Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 15, we read this. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him. One with him in spirit. So flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. See, we belong. Our bodies belong to Jesus Christ. And if we join our bodies sexually to another person outside of marriage, we dishonor Jesus and we dishonor God. We try to drag them into a place where they don't belong. We try to drag them into a place that they just simply can't be because it's sinful. And when we do that, that sexual sin separates us from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we can choose the cultural way. And we can join ourselves sexually to others like it isn't that big of a deal. Or we can choose God's way. And choose to live counterculturally in the knowledge and the faith and the strength and the power of being joined with Jesus Christ. And with having the Holy Spirit living in us. And if we will choose to be complete in Jesus Christ, we won't run to our culture's sexual sin. Instead, we'll run away. We'll flee sexual immorality and we'll stay united with Christ. And boys and young men won't treat girls and women as sex objects like our culture does. See, instead, we'll stand counter to our culture and we'll treat women and girls as true sisters in Christ. We'll treat them with absolute purity And the way we do that is we assume that they are absolutely sexually innocent. And we will ensure that our actions will keep them absolutely sexually innocent. Now in our family, girls and women are not and will not be sexually objectified because that's not who we are. And we will not listen to our culture's assertion that males are driven only by their sexual desires that they are powerless to behave in any other way. We won't be children of our desires. We'll be children of God. And we will control our God given desires. And we will encourage and we will celebrate self control in our family. We'll hold each other accountable and we'll stand together as God's countercultural sons and daughters. Those are biblical principles. Countercultural dating doesn't harm and it doesn't take advantage. Countercultural dating is different, it's set apart, it's holy dating. Countercultural dating behaves decently in the light with no secrets from anyone. Countercultural dating doesn't run with our culture to culture to sexual immorality it runs away from it. Countercultural dating doesn't treat women as sex objects but it treats them as sisters in Christ and it has a desire to keep them absolutely pure. And countercultural dating doesn't give free reign to sexual appetites. It's self-controlled. It's accountable. It's accountable to Jesus Christ, and it's accountable to the body of Christ. Those are the principles. But what does that look like in practice? How do we make countercultural dating actually happen in this family? And parents and grandparents, this is where you come in. See, the only way to really make it happen is you working with your children to make it happen. We must work with our children. We must make it happen. That's why I asked Anthony to come up with those questions. Those questions are help to, to help guide you as parents. It's also to help guide you as children of those parents. To help guide you in a discussion about how your family can honor God through dating. And believe me, I understand those are uncomfortable conversations. Uncomfortable for parents and uncomfortable for their children alike. It's really uncomfortable if there's dating that's taking place already in the family that looks very much more cultural than it does countercultural. But I want you to know the stakes are too high to not have these conversations. So, parents and young people, please. One of you, take the initiative to sit down face-to-face and being quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Have a conversation about what God-honoring, what counter-cultural dating is going to look like in your family. What is it going to look like in your house that is committed to serving the Lord and to help you Have that conversation and to help guide that conversation, we've produced these questions. But I also want to end with some additional questions. These are questions for all of us to consider. And the first question that I have for all of us is simply this What's the rush? What's the hurry? Parents, grandparents, friends, family, brothers, and sisters. What's the rush? Why encourage our children to begin a transition process from single to married before they are even close to being ready for that transition? What's the rush? The second question for us to consider is what are the boundaries? And where are the boundaries? For all of us, I ask this, why should we encourage our children to develop a level of physical and emotional intimacy that leads to the devastating emotions of multiple divorces? I know that's strong language. Let me explain what I mean. See, why would we encourage our children to become one? physically and or emotionally, with the almost certain knowledge that that relationship that they're entering into is not a forever relationship. See, the Bible tells us that when two become intimate, they become one. And the only way for the one to become two again is through division, through separation, through a divorce. Through an emotionally damaging equivalent of a divorce. So my question is, what are the boundaries and where are the boundaries to prevent that from happening? Question three goes something like this. But what if two people really love each other? Then shouldn't they be allowed to follow their hearts? And parents, I want to speak to you. We have to help our children understand that physical intimacy is a wonderful thing. And we have to help them understand that physical intimacy is a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing that unites people. And it changes people. And it leaves people incredibly vulnerable. And we have to help them understand that the very reason why physical intimacy is so wonderful in marriage is why it's so dangerous before marriage and outside of marriage. Even if two people really love each other. And the final question for us to consider is this. Where's the accountability? I want all of us to be thinking about this. Who is going to help our children stay clothed with Christ? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we lift our voices to you. Father, Where our prayer is that you'll help us to stand with you. Help us to stand in bold contrast to our culture. Help us to be counter-cultural. Especially this morning, Father, as we're thinking about how we manage this transition from being single to being married. Father, help your target to be our target. Father, help us to glorify you through all of our relationships. And Father, help us to be people who hold each other accountable, who walk side by side, and who celebrate the things that you celebrate. And Father, we pray this through Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. As we end, we're going to stand up and we're going to sing a song. We're going to lift our voices together. And as we do that, I have two additional questions that I want you to consider as we're singing this song. You can go ahead and stand up. Two questions to run through your mind as we're singing this song. The first question I have is this. Which of our families are going to dare to be countercultural? And the second question I have is, how are the rest of us going to help them do that? Let's sing together.